0: There's a little-known but beautiful fountain courtyard right in the middle of London. It's the centrepiece of the oldest working hospital in Britain, St Bartholomew's.
1: The hospital was founded 900 years ago, and during the 1830s it was at the centre of a gruesome, gory scandal.
0: My name is Mark Zakian and in this podcast I'm joined by my fellow Blue Badge guide, Anthony Robbins, also known as Mr Londoner.
1: And today we're talking about bloody history. Literally. Yes, we are investigating the history of medicine, from plague to pisspots, from leeches to lizard's eggs. So
0: what happened here at St Bartholomew's that spread fear across London? Listen to this bloody podcast and find out. Below us are the bony remains of thousands of skeletons buried here at Spitalfields hundreds of years ago.
1: There's nothing above ground to indicate why they're here, but the area's name gives us a clue.
0: Spitalfields is a corruption of hospital fields. This was once home to St Mary's Spital. Founded 800 years ago, it was London's medieval super-hospital.
1: It's the only place the city's poor could get help. Run by monks with 180 beds, it provided warmth, rest, good food and respite.
0: This was care for Christians. Patients' beds were placed in sight of the high altar so they could take part in masses and pray for healing.
1: The monks studied books based on the teachings of Hippocrates in search of cures.
0: According to the ancient Greek Father of Medicine, the human body is ruled by four liquids. Blood, yellow bile, black bile and phlegm. Known as the humours, they defined the human body as either sanguine, choleric, melancholic or phlegmatic.
1: So, if someone was depressed, they were melancholic. Or if they were raging out of control, they were choleric.
0: Illness was explained by the humours getting out of balance, making people literally diseased
1: and the universal treatment to balance the humours was removing excess blood. Blood
0: Bloodletting was the most popular cure in medical history. People were bled for every conceivable ailment, from colds to headaches, a useless practice that only died out 100 years ago.
1: This was routine in monastic hospitals. The brothers were bled seven times a year to keep them in tip-top health.
0: In 1163, the Pope forbade monks from bleeding patients, rather a sensible precaution in case they murdered somebody.
1: So the brothers brought in the barber-surgeons to bleed their patients.
0: The monk medics at St Mary's Spital were skilled at setting bones. They also performed surgeries, including amputations and trepanning, that's drilling a hole into the skull bone.
1: All of this with no anaesthetic, except for hemlock and a touch of fennel, to ward off witches. The monks were helped by a dozen lay sisters. Each of
0: these medieval nurses was responsible for 30 beds containing two or sometimes three patients.
1: These nursing sisters were required to be virgins, chaste women, or women over the age of 50.
0: Medical monks spent a lot of time literally taking the piss out of patients.
1: Medieval doctoring was obsessed with pee. Urine was examined for its consistency, its colour, clarity and odour, checked against the colour chart to diagnose the patient, then, combined with astrology, to find a cure.
0: And waste not want not, once analysed, the urine was used for tanning.
1: To the modern eye, the medieval hospital is both familiar and bizarre. If a modern doctor asked, what's your star sign, they'd be struck off.
0: Or possibly struck in the face.
1: But the monk doctor regime of healthy food, a calming and natural environment, exercise and comfort are the cornerstones of good modern clinical practice.
0: St Mary's Spital closed in 1539 during the Reformation.
1: Lost to history until its secrets were revealed by archaeologists just 30 years ago.
0: 3,000 13th century skeletons were uncovered. Most had died during a famine linked to a volcanic eruption that caused worldwide climate change.
1: And the hospital must have been overrun with the starving sick but even in times of plague and famine the monks ensured that the people in their care were nursed with prayers reverence and kindness
0: spitalfields may have gone from hospitals to hipsters but its medical history is just beneath the surface ring
1: ring the roses a pocket full of poses a fish.
0: We all, fall down? we all know this children's rhyme, it's about the plague.
1: And we all know that Blackheath in South East London takes its name from the victims of the Black Death who are buried here.
0: But the nursery rhyme first appeared in 1881, two centuries after the last major outbreak of 1665.
1: And there's actually no evidence that Blackheath is connected with the plague at all.
0: The past two years have given us a better understanding of the horrors of a pandemic.
1: And the most devastating pandemic the world has ever seen arrived in London in November 1348.
0: Nearly half the city's inhabitants perished, and over the next two years the plague killed some two million people in England.
1: More than 3,000 villages disappeared off the map, having lost all of their inhabitants. Londoners believed that the plague was
0: punishment from God. Some claimed it was started by foreigners. Others said it was non-Christians poisoning the wells, or that bad air was responsible, or it was a position of the planets.
1: Flagellants visited the city, singing hymns, saying prayers, and offering to whip people to ward off God's punishment.
0: Whipping people into shape. And the doctor's cures were almost as bad as the beating. It was a bad time to be a pigeon, as physicians would cut the bird open from breast to back and while it was still alive, place it onto the swelling.
1: And another cure involved sitting in a sewer to drive out the fever.
0: Physicians' plague potions included eating arsenic. Poisonous. Mercury. Poisonous. Even ten-year-old treacle. Possibly poisonous? Definitely nasty. Towns and cities employed plague doctors.
1: They were recognisable by the long canes they carried to keep their patients at a safe distance. They used them to remove clothing from plague victims, to point out areas needing attention and to examine the sick without actually touching them.
0: The plague doctor's favourite remedy was bloodletting. They placed frogs or leeches onto the swellings, known as buboes, to rebalance the humours.
1: As well as treating people, plague doctors were tasked with compiling public records of the dead.
0: Thankfully, the plague disappeared from Britain after the last great outbreak of 1665. In 1782, Londoners flocked to Piccadilly to visit the most sensational show in town.
1: They paid two shillings and sixpence, that's £30 in modern money, to see Charles Byrne advertised as the famous Irish giant.
0: Tyrone born byrne was touching eight feet tall. According to local legend, his height was the result of his parents making love on a very tall haystack.
1: Age 21, Byrne left Ireland for London to turn his lofty inches into money, exhibiting himself to the gawping
0: curious. But when other tall men turned up in the capital, including a giant promoted as upwards of four inches taller than Byrne, the Irishman's celebrity waned.
1: Burns' problems were compounded by gin and whiskey, often failing to show up, and frequently drunk on stage, his world fell apart when his life savings were stolen during a drunken binge.
0: The slide into alcoholic destruction took its toll, and the tall man contracted TB, becoming mortally ill.
1: But Burns' biggest fear wasn't death, but the anatomist's scalpel. up a Catholic, Byrne was convinced that dissection would deny him a place in heaven. One
0: man who was waiting patiently to study the giant was John Hunter, surgeon extraordinary to King George III.
1: Hunter was a medical pioneer who'd carried out the world's first artificial insemination in 1790.
0: The doctor had dissected thousands of cadavers bought from grave robbers, but was desperate to study Byrne's body.
1: Byrne, in turn, was desperate to thwart him. He left instructions for his coffin to be kept under guard, then buried at sea, handing the last of his savings to the undertaker to carry out his final wishes.
0: In June 1783, the coffin was taken to Margate to be sunk beneath 20 fathoms of water in the English Channel.
1: But Byrne's body was no longer in the casket. The funeral party was too drunk to notice the undertaker swapping the body with paving stones, cashing in on a £500 bribe from the surgeon Hunter.
0: Hunter took the corpse back to his surgery, where he boiled it down to bones that were then displayed in his anatomical collection.
1: And Today, that skeleton is part of the Hunterian Museum, at the Royal College of Surgeons in London. And Many visitors, including the current monarch, had been fascinated by its extraordinary size. In
0: 1909, an American neurosurgeon got permission to open the tall man's skull and he diagnosed a pituitary tumour that had caused Byrne to grow so big.
1: Hunter got the body, but Byrne's modern-day relatives insist that now is time for him to receive a proper Christian burial.
0: The British Medical Journal agrees with his family. They say Byrne has done his time and should be buried at sea.
1: Brandy Nan, Brandy Nan, they've left you in the lurch. Your face towards the gin house and your back towards the church.
0: The church featured in this 17th century Cockney doggerel is St Paul's.
1: And Brandy Nan is Queen Anne, commemorated here in front of the cathedral with an imposing statue.
0: She was mocked for her penchant for alcohol, particularly the gin that she sneaked into her
1: teapot. It's little wonder poor Anne took to self-medicating. Her husband, George, was a drunk and a bore, and the Queen suffered from a long list of medical conditions. Her gout was so bad that she had to be carried to her coronation ceremony in a sedan chair.
0: Poor Anne was pregnant 17 times. 12 ended with miscarriages or stillbirths. And of her five living children, none survived past the age of 11.
1: And all of this, despite being tended to by the best doctors in the country, including four physicians in ordinary on salaries of £250 a year, that's the equivalent of half a million pounds in modern money.
0: One of her medics was Hans Sloan, a doctor of medicine from four universities, he was one of the most respected practitioners in England and became physician extraordinary to Queen Anne.
1: Dr Sloan's Materia Medica, his wooden medicine cabinet, is on show here at the British Museum.
0: Among the items the Queen's doctor used to treat patients are lizard's egg and shark's teeth.
1: There's rhinoceros horn, used as an antidote to poison, viper egg, for eye infections, and ground mummy's fingers for bruises.
0: We're talking ancient Egyptian mummies, decidedly unyummy mummies.
1: Sloan oversaw the publication of the leading medical reference book, the London Pharmacopoeia. And this recommended treatments such as crab's eyes, sparrow's brains, rooster testicles and penis of bull.
0: A real cock and bull story.
1: The most extraordinary remedy was the bone, from an executed criminal's skull.
0: Sloan attended Queen Anne during her final illness. He went on to serve George I and then George II.
1: Nearly a century later, when King George III was suffering from hallucinations and delusions, his doctor forced him into a straitjacket and stuffed a handkerchief into his mouth.
0: So if he was suffering from the genetic blood disease porphyria, as many people have speculated, his doctor was simply exacerbating the King's suffering.
1: The treatments offered by Hans Sloan and his physician friends were closer to witchcraft than science. And modern medicine only began 200 years ago.
0: London, 1668. A deadly disease is stalking the city. One out of 20 deaths in the capital will bear its name, smallpox.
1: The following year, Baby Mary was christened here at St Paul's Church in Covent Garden. Her destiny inextricably intertwined with this terrible contagion.
0: Lady Mary was the daughter of a Duke. In 1713, her beloved brother died of smallpox. Two years later, that same virus left her scarred and without eyelashes.
1: Growing up, Lady Mary defied the conventions of her gender, educating herself by hiding in the family library, reading voraciously and teaching herself Latin.
0: Her father arranged for her to marry the honorable Clotworthy Skeffington. Maverick Mary risked her dowry to elope with Edward Montagu.
1: When her husband was appointed ambassador to Turkey, Lady Mary was very clear that she wouldn't be waiting in London for his return, insisting on travelling with him.
0: Defying notions of aristocratic behaviour, she disguised herself as a local woman, venturing into the harems and the houses of Constantinople.
1: And here, she documented an extraordinary ritual.
0: An old woman with a nutshell full of smallpox comes, and asks what veins you please to have opened. She immediately rips open that that you offer to her with a large needle and puts into the vein as much venom as can lie on the head of a needle.
1: They were inoculating their children.
0: Lady Mary hired a local to inoculate her son. When the woman started cutting the boy's vein with a blunt point, Mary quickly intervened using a sharp needle. His arm swelled up. And on the third day, spots appeared on his face. And after a slight fever, only the scars of the needle remained.
1: On Lady Mary's return to England in 1771, a smallpox epidemic broke out, killing a third of its victims. She began to promote the idea of inoculation.
0: Princess Caroline, wife to the future George II, agreed to test the treatment. 16 condemned criminals volunteered, with freedom their reward should it be a success.
1: The princess then arranged to inoculate parish orphans before finally having her own children jabbed, including her son, Prince Frederick, the heir to the throne.
0: But in 1772, two patients died.
1: Jealous physicians resented the fact that an amateur had usurped their position and they started campaigning against the treatment One of them wrote, Posterity
0: will scarcely believe that an experiment practiced by a few ignorant women among illiterate people should be received into the royal palace.
1: Mary defended herself stoutly, writing articles under a male pen name, but the inoculation experiment ended.
0: History has shown that if the medical establishment had not objected to a woman interfering, many lives would have been saved in the 80 years that would pass until the arrival of Jenner's smallpox vaccination. In 1832, a woman bringing an ailing patient into a London hospital was mobbed by a screaming crowd.
1: In Oxford Street, a hospital porter carrying a dying man was assaulted.
0: And in Vauxhall, a surgeon making a house call was confronted by an infuriated crowd shouting, Burka,
1: Burka, 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 Burka. burka.
0: London had been gripped by fear and anger following the revelations of London's own Burke and Hare body snatchers, the Bethnal Green Gang.
1: The gang including a Covent Garden porter and an unemployed butcher known as Black Eyed Jack, made money by exhuming freshly buried bodies to sell for dissection.
0: At that time, the only bodies legally available to the anatomists were executed murderers.
1: And as murders declined and the demand from the anatomists increased, body snatching became a lucrative business.
0: A fresh corpse would fetch ten pounds at a time when a workman's wage was less than a pound a week.
1: The public, desperate to avoid their mortal remains being exhumed by the burqas, buried their dead in triple coffins and vaults.
0: Or mort-safes, graves set in a concrete foundation surrounded by iron bars.
1: The poor resorted to double coffins or graves filled with heavy stones.
0: And here, at St Sepulchre's Church they built a watchtower next to the graveyard where men would guard the fresh burials.
1: But in the end, the resurrection men got their booty.
0: Next to St Sepulchre's is the Fortune of War pub, across the road from St Bartholomew's Hospital. Upstairs at the pub was a room where freshly disinterred deceased were displayed on benches for the surgeons to buy.
1: But the Bethnal Green gang took a step too far when they tried to sell a suspiciously fresh corpse, that of a 14-year-old boy.
0: He had been burkered, murdered to sell his body.
1: The killers were tried and condemned, confessing to selling nearly 1,000 bodies, many to the surgeons from St Bartholomew's Hospital.
0: The ringleaders were hanged at Newgate in 1831 in front of a crowd of 30,000 their bodies were then handed to the surgeons who anatomised them.
1: A year later, a new law was put in place that allowed doctors, teachers of anatomy and medical students to dissect donated bodies for medical science, ending the grave robber's gruesome trade in corpses.
0: The 31st of August, 1854, was another busy day here on Broad Street in Soho.
1: The local dairy was milking the cows, the Reverend Henry Whitehead was blessing a baby at St Luke's, and Italian and German street hawkers were touting their wares.
0: A family gathered around the water pump, making a popular drink called sherbet, a spoonful of powder that fizzed when mixed with water.
1: Just a normal day, until the coffee shop owner reported some terrible news.
0: Nine of her customers had contracted cholera.
1: Victims were rushed to the Middlesex Hospital, where many were treated by Florence Nightingale, who was working there during the outbreak. Within three
0: days, 127 people from Broad Street were dead. A week later, the number had risen to 500.
1: Those who could fled to escape the miasma they were convinced was killing them.
0: For thousands of years, disease was attributed to foul airs, night airs, malaria, literally bad air, and this was all known as the miasma.
1: One man was convinced this was nonsense.
0: John Snow ran a practice on 5th Street near the outbreak. The talented doctor-surgeon was studying how diseases spread.
1: Snow interviewed local residents and discovered that the victims had all one thing in common, drinking water. From the Broad Street Pump.
0: The doctor visited the Soho workhouse, which had 535 inmates, but no cholera. The building had its own
1: well. And at the Broad Street Brewery, located at the heart of the outbreak, not one person contracted cholera. The workers there drank the liquor they made or water from the brewery well.
0: This convinced Snow that the source of the disease was the Broad Street Pump.
1: But the case of a niece and her aunt, who died of cholera, puzzled the doctor. They live miles from the Soho pump.
0: But the woman's son told Snow that his mother used to live near Broad Street and liked the taste of the water from the pump so much that she had bottles of it brought to her regularly. She and her visiting niece took a glass of the pump water. Both died from cholera the following day.
1: Snow convinced the reluctant authorities to remove the handle from the pump, making it impossible to draw water the outbreak of cholera stopped almost immediately.
0: Despite Snow's success with the epidemic in Soho, public officials still thought his explanation was nonsense.
1: They insisted there was no way sewage from the town pipes could leak into the pump.
0: But the building of proper sewers and improving sanitation meant that cholera, which killed over 100,000 people in 19th century London was gone by the end of the century, the last case reported in 1893.
1: By that time, germ theory was able to explain how water could carry infection. Snow was no longer alive to see his ideas proven.
0: But the father of epidemiology, the science of how diseases spread, has a pub named after him in Broad Street.
1: An amusingly contradictory tribute to a lifelong teetotaler.
0: So you're visiting the medieval doctor. What cures will he offer?
1: For kidney stones.
0: bear fat mixed with fox fat.
1: For a chest infection?
0: A lead potion. It won't cure you, but it might kill you. A boil. Peacock droppings. Amnesia. The heart of a robin red breast. Smallpox. The colour red, just the colour. Snake bite. Treacle.
1: Anxiety.
0: Genitals of a cockerel. Breast milk drunk directly from the breast. Or the
1: brain of a hare. Proof that medieval medicine was utterly harebrained. This British Guild of
0: Tourist Guides podcast was written and produced by Mark Zakian and co-hosted with Anthony Robbins, also known as Mr. Londoner. The music was still stand by Miu, licensed under Creative Commons. For tours and information about Blue Badge Guides, visit Britain's